Woo! Wow. Praise God for the work that he has done in the lives of those youth. And hey, if you're watching, girls, we are so excited as your church family to see what God is going to do through you as you continue to follow him. Well, for this morning's scripture reading, we're going to be reading Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 20. So I'll give you a moment to bring out your Bibles, maybe pull it up on your phones, gather around as a family. And we're going to start in Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of, a, of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Well, good morning, everyone. And we're so glad that you joined us. Uh, I'm actually really stoked about those three girls that got baptized because one of those girls was my daughter. And so it was a phenomenal experience to be able to see her take that step of faith. And as you know, Barton is on holidays and he will be back in two weeks. I guess he deserves the break. No, he does. And uh, we, will, we are looking forward to his return. And so while he's gone, we're going to tackle an easy one today. And so we are starting a new series called, Did Jesus Say That? And the question is, is there an unforgivable sin? Right? An easy one. And for some, it's actually kind of funny, but you know, we make the joke when someone makes bad coffee, you know, that's an unforgivable sin, right? Or if I leave clothes on the floor, you know, that's an unforgivable sin in my home. But no, we're, we're going much deeper. We're talking about, is there an unforgivable sin in which that we can commit in which God will not forgive us? You know, is there a line that we can cross when we continue in this pattern of sin, are we too far gone in which God says, you know what? Sorry. You know, I have actually gotten this question a lot in my 15 years of pastoring. I led this girl to Christ many years ago, and she came into my office one day crying. And she had this very question. Will God forgive me? Well, what happened was is she got a boyfriend and she went too far. And she started saying, hey, I, I gave him something that I cannot give back. You know, how does God view me right now? 
I, I feel like I have this permanent stain. Will, will God forgive me? You know, many of us feel like that when we've gone too far. You know, some have asked this question after an affair or a felony or a multi-year sin that just continually festers and grows and they can't find their way out. And sometimes we all find ourselves in a really bad, dark place. And the question is, will God forgive us? Well, just like in the story, we all at times feel like we're damaged goods. We may tell ourselves that we've gone too far, that we've run out of chances, that there is no more forgiveness for us. So the question today is simply this, are there sins that God will not forgive? So as you're going to see, if we want to find forgiveness through Christ, we need to actually understand what sin is. And at first, the sermon is going to feel really heavy. But as we get to the end, you're going to see the hope. And so today, I want to start with, is there a sin that can't be forgiven? The next, if so, what is it? And then what does that actually mean for us? So first, question number one, is there a sin that can't be forgiven? Let's look at Mark 3, verse 29. This is what it says. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. I want to focus on the words eternal sin. And first, what is sin? Well, at the core of sin is our rebellion against God. God is holy and we are saying no to him. We are rejecting his ways and we are consumed with our own way. It happens through our behaviors, through our thoughts, through our attitudes, and all those things that we, we push God away from us. It's this rejection of God as ruler and saying that we will do a better job than him. So is there a point in which we rebel so much that God will not forgive us? Well, what? is forgiveness. Well, forgiveness is God's restoration of that relationship. You know, when we push God away, when we put a wall up, and then we ask for God's forgiveness, the wall comes down. The, the, the stain that our sin has uh, marked us, God wipes it clean. He covers it. He removes it. He releases it. He passes our guilt over. Another way to look at it is that sin cages us. And God's forgiveness frees us. 
So this forgiveness is the absolute best news for me, the sinner, for you, the sinner. But the worst news is if you can't receive God's forgiveness. So what does God mean when he says never? Well, never simply means we've run out of chances. That there's this absolute refusal to do something. God means simply he will not forgive. And to be honest, this should be frightening for us in some regards. That there's something that we can possibly do that God says you cannot, after committing that, have a relationship with me. You know, oftentimes when we hear that from our friends or family members, we're like, ah, whatever. <laughs> They'll eventually come to the point of they'll accept me back. But with God, he's saying, no, you've run out of chances. There's a point of no return. And so again, let's look at what that actually means. Mark 12, 32 says this, whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. So in other words, there's a point in this life that we can do something that affects the next life. That we can actually commit a sin in this age that it cannot be forgiven in our lifetime and it's carried over for eternity. So to answer the first question, is there an unforgivable sin? The answer is yes. Let me illustrate it this way. In grade 12, I got my first car. And it was a five-speed turbo Daytona. And it was a fast car. And so I remember, you know, kind of testing the capacity of the car. You know, I had a bunch of friends jump in, and the more friends I had, the more that they wanted to test the speed limit. And so, yes, we went fast, and we kind of went as fast as possibly the car could go. But I remember these red and blue lights behind me. And I got pulled over for the first time. And I received a warning, thankfully. But as I continued, I got more and more comfortable with speed. And so I continued to break the rules of the law. And the next day, I saw red and blue lights again. And this time, it wasn't a warning. And I got my first ticket. But there was a point in which I got my second ticket and third ticket. And at the core of it, I didn't really feel bad for my sin. I felt bad that I actually got caught. 
And so I continued to speed. There was this one moment in which I got pulled over and I almost wanted to, you know, mock the authorities because I was like, this is a joke. Come on. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin and I made a decision to actually obey the laws of the road. And I want you to see that there was a turning point in which I took the warning seriously. Before there was this forever consequence. And you know, some of the big consequences could have been, you know, paying all the speeding tickets or even crashing the car. But a forever consequence would have been killing someone or even killing myself. Just like in the story, the more that we let sin creep into our lives, the more that our heart can become hardened, hardened to the warnings, hardened to the consequences. And Jesus is saying that we can reach a point in which we can no longer receive his forgiveness. It's a point in which we belittle and mock the spirit of God. But here's a spoiler alert. If you have any remorse for your sin, you have not committed the unforgivable sin. Okay. (laughs) But a guy named Richard Donovan says, I've tried to imagine people who might be candidates for this sin. So he made a list. And he says, possibly cult leaders like Jim Jones and David Koresh, as they've made themselves like God, And their leadership proved to be disastrous, leading many away from God. Or what about Hitler? Think about all the destruction that he left. That him and his henchmen hated God. They persecuted. They tried to purposely subvert the church and led many to a place of unthinkable evil. But I can honestly say only God knows if they've committed the unforgivable sin. But none of them, at the end of their life, repented. And they all had the same fate before God. So what does that mean for us? I want you to reflect on the fact that sin has big consequences and forever consequences. That no matter what, sin has a way of hooking us and hardening our heart. It even answers the question, why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? He received warning after warning And he came to this place where he ignored God altogether. And there was a forever consequence. So I hope you can see the red and blue lights as you enter into sin. Jesus is saying, caution. Are you purposely gossiping? Are you purposely not loving someone right now? Are you telling lies? Are you holding on to bitterness. Jesus is saying, warning. 
that all these things push God away. And when we purposely rebel against God and intentionally fall into sin, it leads to apathy in this hardened heart. And Jesus says, to find freedom in Christ, we must understand what sin is and our need for him. So next, question number two. What is the unforgivable sin? What is the unforgivable sin? Look with me at verse 29. It says this, But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. I'm going to read it again. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. First of all, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit isn't just simply being vile or telling off God or, you know, just falling into some big sin like murder or abuse. That it's something deeper and bigger than that. A commentator says it's this. It's this ongoing, continual rejection of the Holy Spirit and saviorhood of Jesus that leads to a hardened heart. I want you to know that it's very intentional, that it's continual. But let's look at the context in which why Jesus actually said this. Look with me at Mark 3, verses 20. This is Jesus. It says, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went outside to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. I I want you to focus on the words, He is out of his mind. The crowd is gathering. They are saying these things about Jesus. He's insane. He's crazy. Then keep reading. Verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub. And by the prince of demons, he cast out the demons. And so again, there's this group called the scribes. They are like legal authorities. They are like lawyers in some regard. They're very smart and intelligent people who as the crowd gathered, they're watching Jesus do these miraculous things. And they start saying he's possessed by Satan. He's basically, he does this through the power of demons. And they're ultimately insulting Jesus himself. But what is fascinating is when you look at the Greek, that they kept on saying it. That it just wasn't this one-off. They weren't just like, oh, there's Jesus, ha, ha, ha. That they continually started to insult him and say that he wasn't the son of God. That he was just like Satan himself. But note carefully, Jesus does not say these scribes have committed the unforgivable sin. But he hears them attribute them to the power over demons. 
But he does say that this is a warning to the scribes. But to be honest, they may have committed the unforgivable sin. Only God knows. So the question is, why does Jesus exclude this one sin from forgiveness? Why is this one sin elevated? Well, it's because of the unique role of the Holy Spirit. That if you think of the Trinity, God the Father has this amazing plan of salvation to save us. That he sends his son Jesus to die on the cross to fulfill the plan. And then the role of the Holy Spirit is to show us Jesus and the fact that we need him. It's it's all connected. And that when we mock the Holy Spirit, it's like turning off that voice that shows us that we need God. It's turning off that tap of forgiveness. It's turning out the light so we can't see Jesus clearly. I want you to see that it's all connected. And it's ultimately connected in how we view Jesus. And when we belittle and mock, we mock the help that God has sent us. And then we can no longer actually see who Jesus is. Our staff team took this course called Crucial Conversations. And the book is Tools for Talking When the Stakes Are High. And this course talked about these scenarios in which there's conflict between staff members and kind of all those dynamics that happen when, you know, you don't get your way. One of the things that I thought was really fascinating is that people start to tell themselves stories when they're in conflict. For example, if your boss says no, you start to say, ah, oh, they're just an authoritarian. They don't understand me. And then it could get even worse where staff members start to talk behind their back and they make them out to be the villain. In fact, we've all done that. We've all walked away from frustrating conversations and we, we take our, you know, our version of the story and we make it much worse. And when we go back with level heads and go over the facts, we realize that person really wasn't the villain that we made them out to be. Well, Jesus is being villainized here. He's being misjudged. And as a result, he's being slandered and again, belittled. So this brings up the question, How do you view Jesus? Because some people think he's insane. Some people are saying he's out of his mind. He's bad. He's evil. You know, he's in the same league of the devil. Or he's simply just some Jewish guy that you, you know, put a picture up on the wall. Or maybe he's just a bobblehead in your van. But how you view Jesus determines absolutely everything. 
It's connected to whether you can receive forgiveness or not. If you have this improper view of Jesus, then you may fall into this unforgivable sin. Keller says this, People need to learn that rejecting Jesus out of ignorance is one thing, but attacking the power by which he works is something far more serious. If one is weak, one can be encouraged. If one is ignorant, one can be informed. If one is willfully blind and deaf and rejects help, what can be done? One has cut oneself off from might lead to repentance. The sworn enemies of Jesus have shut their eyes to the truth. They say good is evil in order to turn others away from Jesus, to preserve their own authority, and to resist becoming disciples. God is willing to forgive even this sin, but they have willfully shut themselves off from God's forgiveness. It's not just a single action, but a continual state of spurning the Spirit's work. Well said. But I know that there's times in my life in which I've continued in sin and I can actually feel the wall go up between myself and God. You know, I, I, I become miserable. I, I stop praying. I stop reading the word of God until there's repentance and the wall comes down. But what if I continue in that state of sin? You know, that wall stays up. And I'm sure we all know people who have willfully decided to turn away from God and embrace sin. And at some point in their life, they may even make Jesus to be the villain. This type of lifestyle brings about confusion. It brings about separation. Think about everything that's going on in the world right now. Think of all the injustice. Think of all the fighting. Think of the death. Think of all the disunity. Think of all the brokenness. Do you think humanity is going to overcome that? No, but the Bible tells us when we view Jesus properly, we can find freedom in him. But the Bible also tells us that he will overcome the world in the end anyways. It doesn't matter how you view Jesus, he's still going to win. So in summary, what is the unforgivable sin? Piper says it well. He says, it's the act of resistance which belittles the Holy Spirit so grievously that he withdraws forever with his convicting power so that we are never able to repent and be forgiven. But I want to add the connecting point. That the unforgivable sin results in this stubborn refusal to acknowledge that God is at work 
and that Jesus saves us. So as you can see, to find forgiveness in Christ, we must understand what the unforgivable sin is. But lastly, to find forgiveness in Christ, we must ask Jesus to forgive us and run from our sin. So my last question is, how do we live with the possibility that we can commit the unforgivable sin? How do we live with the possibility that we can commit the unforgivable sin? Well, first, we need to run from sin. That there's these warning signs going off in in our life and in our heart. That sin leads to death. That there, there may be these, you know, red and blue lights going on and soon we don't even see the lights. That we just continue on doing our own thing and we become hardened to God. But if it's by God's grace you are feeling the need to repent right now, please do it. Because you may not have tomorrow. So the question is, have you already committed the unforgivable sin? Well, do you mock Jesus? Is your heart so hard that you can't even sense the spirit of God at work? Do you call good evil? Then maybe. But if the spirit of God is at work in your life, and you're feeling his conviction, then that very fact says you have not committed the unpardonable sin. If you have this personal relationship with Jesus, it's impossible to commit the unforgivable sin. Jesus does give us a warning though, but he also gives us this amazing promise. Let's read this again in verse 28. He says, Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven. All sins will be forgiven. Well, wait. Is that just a contradiction? No. Jesus is saying, I can forgive every single sin, except there's an exception. There's an exception in which you reject me in which you don't really acknowledge who I am, then you will not come to me for forgiveness. Therefore, you are not able to be forgiven. So I want you to hear the promise. As long as one desires to repent, to get his or her life back in order spiritually, God will always forgive. God will always forgive. So don't worry about the fact that you may have committed the unpardonable sin. Why? Because if you know Jesus, you have the promise. It's impossible. Jesus is saying, you've heard the warning. Now hear the offer of grace. He's saying that all sins will be forgiven if we come to him. If we come to him in a state of repentance... Repentance is simply us going to God, saying, hey God, I know I've wronged you. 
but I'm going to turn away from my sin and I'm going to turn to you. This is exactly what David did. David was known as a man who followed after God, a man after God's own heart. And David in the psalm says this, For I know my transgressions and my sin. It's always before me. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you have proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. But notice his repentance. Notice his acknowledgement of his sin. He understood that he was guilty before God. But know this, David committed many of the big sins. He committed murder, adultery, conspiracy. He lied. And yet he was forgiven. Why? Because God doesn't see sins. He sees a sinner in need of a savior. He doesn't see a murderer or a liar or a gossiper or a slander or a lazy person. He sees a person who needs Christ. That person is you and me. So it's the work of the Holy Spirit that comes and shows us really who Jesus is so that we can clearly see him, clearly see our need for him. And when we see that, we come before him and we say, God, I am a sinner. I've rebelled. I've gone my own way. And Jesus says, I accept you. I forgive you. And that's the best possible news. It means that I am accepted by God through what Jesus has done. But don't hear me incorrectly. Because religion says that Jesus is just a moral teacher. And that if we fall into this pattern of just trying to obey the rules, just trying to do everything on our own strength, we will come up short every single time. But the gospel says Jesus is for you. He's the one who fights and has won the battle. Amen? So today, turn to Jesus and find that new freedom. Find justice in him. Find peace in him. Find victory over all this confusion and labels that sin brings. I want to leave you with this picture from another pastor. He says this. People who purposely continue in their sin are like a buzzard who spots a carcass on a piece of ice floating in the river. He lands and begins to eat. He knows that it's dangerous because the falls are just ahead. But he looks at his own wings and says to himself, I can fly to safety in an instant. And as he goes on eating, just before the ice goes over the falls, he spreads his wings 
and tries to fly and he realizes that his claws are frozen in the ice and there is no escape, neither in this age or the age to come. The spirit of holiness has forsaken the arrogant sinner. So are you too far gone? Are you beyond the point of no return? The answer is absolutely not if you turn to Jesus and repent. It's my prayer that you will do that today. Don't put it off to tomorrow until it's too late. So I want to end with this. Do you need to repent of your sin today? Is the Spirit of God at work? Just take a moment to do that. I'm going to lead you through a prayer. These aren't magic words, but these are words that reflect a soft heart towards God. A heart that wants to embrace Jesus as Savior. And so if that's you this morning, just close your eyes and repeat after me. I call it the ABC prayer. The A is admitting that you're a sinner. B is believing what Christ did for you on the cross is enough. And then C is committing your life. So close your eyes right now and let's pray. Jesus, I want to admit that I have rebelled against you in thought and in deed, but I need you to forgive me for my sin. But I also believe who you say you are, that you died on the cross for me as a sinner, that you paid the price. And so right now, I want to give you my life. I want to help others find forgiveness too. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, I celebrate with you. If your heart is soft towards God, you cannot commit the unforgivable sin. And so if you want to have further conversation, please get in contact with myself or one of the pastors so we can, t can continue to disciple you. Let's spend some time and worship.